He is risen. Amen. Yeah. I don't know about you, but over the last couple of years, showing up on Easter Sunday has been so much more sweet after doing our Good Friday gathering. How many of you were at Good Friday a couple days ago? Yeah. Yeah, this room was not this full, but we didn't put this many chairs up. Um, it was so deeply encouraging to be able to go through Holy Week together as a people, starting with our three-day fast last Sunday, Palm Sunday, and praying, and breaking fast on Tuesday, and our Passover Seder, seeing so much of the richness, like there were things that I had no idea about, even as a pastor, about what Jesus was doing in installing the Lord's Supper over Passover, and the new covenant in his blood, and then Good Friday, seeing the sacrifice of Jesus redisplayed for us in the scriptures, and through song and spoken word, and now is the culmination, um, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, uh, the reminder to all of us that Jesus Christ is alive, the tomb is empty, and hope is here. Death is defeated and does not have the final word, right? So if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Devin, I'm a staff elder here at the Commons LA, and we meet every Sunday, not only on Easter Sunday, because we want to follow Jesus. We believe he's alive. And we believe that he actually teaches us how to live life with God in a way that totally inverts everything we thought we knew about being human. That we can actually live in the eternal life of God's presence here and now while we wait for what Easter Sunday assures us of. And we're going to see some of that today. You can find out more about us as a church community in that handout, that weekly bulletin that you have on your chairs. Um, one way that you can find out more, Joey already mentioned it, about how to get involved in the life of, of our community and learn to follow Jesus with us, whether you don't, haven't followed Jesus ever or you're returning to Jesus or you just moved here from somewhere and consider yourself a Christ follower, is scanning that QR code on the back of the chair. I know some of these chairs don't have a, a QR code. You can scan the QR code on the back of your weekly bulletin as well. Find out ways to get in community. Find out what discipleship opportunities we have. Um, and also the Olive Course. If you're a seeker, if you're exploring Jesus, as Joey mentioned, is starting up this Thursday. If either you yourself are a seeker wanting to know more about Jesus and his claims and life with him, following him, or maybe you know someone who is seeking and would be open to coming with you, um, scan that QR code and register. There are probably 20 or 30 spots left in that course. It's going to be right in here as well. And uh, it's an awesome opportunity we have to partner with Upside Down, who's allowing us to meet here with them and partner in ministry to see the kingdom of Jesus go forward. So, now we're going to dive into some scripture. We're going to see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears just what Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and the empty tomb Point forward to. So you can open up in your weekly bulletin, or if you have a Bible or an app, we're going to be in Revelation 21, the very last book or letter in the Bible, in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one on the back there uh, of the coffee bar. We have a collection of Bibles and resources that we would love to give you. So we are not here to commemorate a holy day. You know, a day that we look back on and think, wow, that was a great day. If only we could return to the good old days. Um, we're here because Resurrection Sunday points forward to a future reality that is coming. And now we're, we're looking through the empty tomb, forward ahead, 
to where it's all going when we open up Revelation 21 right here. It's going to be full of imagery and richness, but I think something that hopefully breathes life into our souls. So would you stand with me as we read Scripture? We always do this uh, to embody what we believe about the Word, that we want to be, uh, have reverence towards God's Word as we place ourselves beneath it. And then I'm going to ask someone to invite God's Spirit to meet us in prayer as we finish this passage. So, pray for someone to have the courage to do so. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I, this is the Apostle John, saw, this is a vision, Revelation is filled with the revealing of visions. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Someone pray for us. Ask God's Spirit to move among us. Thank you. Amen. All right, you can grab a seat. Yeah, Holy Spirit, come. So this this portion of Scripture is fairly straightforward in what's being conveyed, but the richness of it, I think we could never cease to comprehend, to feel in our bones, and to believe. But it says this, God is at work bringing heaven and earth together fully and finally. One day, the presence of God in heaven, the presence of humanity on earth, will fully and finally be materialized and reunited. That's where all of this is headed. 
And everything that falls in that gap of distance and darkness between us here and now will one day be vanquished. And it was assured when Jesus rose from the dead. It's, it's happening. And this is the declaration at the end of Scripture that says, it is finished, it's done. That's the, what the one on the throne said, right? And on the cross, Jesus said, it is... Not rhetorical. Yeah. It is what? Finished. It's finished. The empty tomb of Resurrection Sunday is the unbreakable link that is drawing all of history toward the reunification of heaven and earth. But why is this the image for how the story ends? Right? Like, we look at that and we're like, that'd be amazing. That's, that, I can't even imagine what that's going to be. But why is that the image that God chooses to wrap up the whole story with? What does it mean about the tension we live in here and now? It reveals why everything had gone so devastatingly wrong in us and in our world. If we look back far enough all the way into Genesis, we see that God created the heavens and the earth knit together. It says that God himself would walk with our first parents in the garden in the cool of the day. There was no distance. There was no gap. There was no alienation. And the reason that it needs to end with the assurance that it's, it's going to be better than it even ever was then is because everything went wrong. You see, the great drama at play in the story of Scripture is not that God created people to be good, who became bad, and now they need to be good enough again to get into heaven rather than hell when they die. And I know a lot of you in a room this size Maybe you might not express it that way, but that's kind of what your assumptions are. That Jesus came so that bad people could be forgiven, and then when they die, they'd be allowed into the, the pearly gates of heaven. And that's not what Scripture says. And the last hundred years have done a lot of seeping that into our imagination about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's something way better than that that we get to celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. Way better than that. It's not as though earth is this place we live and heaven and hell are places we go to when we die. Okay, let me, let me put it this way. Um, no, I can't, I can't get there yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> verse 1, verse 1, Revelation 21, shows us that God is going to make heaven and earth new again with a city a place where God and humanity can dwell together, that our presence would be with each other. And notice that it's all peoples, that, that all the peoples, all the nations of the earth come together and are united in the presence of God. Resurrection Sunday proclaims the goodness of the God who freely offers life to a dying and decaying and broken world in which all of us are drowning in so many false promises from politicians, from marketers, from businesses, from family, friends, even from ourselves, even crooked pastors, 
that we feel just a bit too cynical and jaded to really take this at face value. Could it really be that good? Right, you walk down the street and someone says, hey, can I give you something free? Just, nah, I'm too busy. I don't want, like, I know there's a bait and switch somewhere. We're so cynical. But don't miss this. This is a picture in Revelation, not about people escaping earth, but heaven coming down to a new earth with a new heaven. The problem that the gospel that Jesus came to solve was not primarily a moral problem. It was not primarily a moral problem. It was a relational problem. It was a presence problem. Heaven was severed from earth in the garden when we turned away from God to live on our own. So let me put it this way. Imagine you had a friend. You have a friend from out of town. They come to visit you in L.A., and, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I know. We're hungry. I know where i got to take you. i got to take you to In-N-Out. Got to take you to In-N-Out. They, they make the most amazing tomato sandwiches. <laughs> what? Right? It sounds ridiculous. Yeah, there's a tomato on the thing, if that's your thing, but it's a, it's a cheeseburger. It's misleading. It doesn't even give the right comprehension of what the thing is supposed to be, of what In-N-Out wants it to be. That's what we do when we take the Christian gospel, the good news of Jesus, and we make it primarily about being good or being bad. We're, we're making the gospel about a tomato instead of the, the real goodness, the relational reconciliation. We're going to be with God again. No barriers. No shame. And in a room like this, I know so many of you are coming in here with the moral baggage. Either you're bold enough to think, like, I'm going to try again, I'm going to get back on the moral horse and be a good person again, go to church, or the shame, wanting to just run and hide in the corner, knowing that you've tried a thousand times and you can't do it. For the love of God, put down the bag. That's not what this is about. Now, morality has a place insofar as we learn to walk with God and serve Him and love Him. But it's the kind of garnish on the side of relational presence. So, the gospel speaks to morality, but it's mainly focused on the relational reconciliation of us with God, that sin and and evil and darkness in us is no longer a necessary barrier. So, the day is coming that Revelation foresees where Jesus will fully and finally reconcile all of the cosmos to himself and chase away everything that sin and death allowed in. A couple of things that we see here. Two simple things that that means. The first one is the restoration of intimacy between God and humanity. And the second one is the removal of suffering. The restoration of intimacy is the first gift restored to us by Jesus. He's the one who's sitting on the throne in verse 3 as the king of creation. And he says, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them as their God. It's not a defect in you and in me as human beings that we feel profound emptiness when we're not 
connected to people meaningfully. It's not a defect. God created us to be incomplete apart from relationship because we are incomplete apart from deep relationship. A solitary human being is not the smallest, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like building block of the universe. Community is. Because God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit are the perfect divine community of self-giving love and joy. We were created to image him. And so we need one another. Even children's TV shows know our innate need for connection. We were watching the Dream, DreamWorks classic, Over the Hedge, last week. Oh, yeah. Back when, you remember when animation was so bad? It's like you watch it, and it's kind of like, oh, is this like a bad YouTube video? And RJ, the raccoon, is giving a commentary as the credits roll, and he says, humans feel a deep inner need to connect with the world around them but they also feel a need to sit on their fat butts. Watching TV fulfills both needs at the same time. Isn't that the contrast of, yeah, we feel this deep and profound longing, and yet there are so many things that are easier that we would rather do. We're too busy for relationships, and yet we can't chase away the hollowness. And in a big city like L.A., the feeling can be amplified. So many people around us. How is it that none of them know me. I'm sure some of you have been aching this week with loneliness, but it's not just friendships. I was reading last week about the effect of technology on the family, and one line was just carved into my mind. Late capitalism, this kind of moment that we live in right now, is the age in which everyone has a computer in their pocket and a gaping hole where their father should be. We think that technology presents to us the future oasis where needs will be chased away, where our own weaknesses and lack will be provided for by these devices and computers, and ChatGPT can write everything for us. And there is no replacement, especially for the core people that were created and woven into the fabric of our humanity like dad, like mom, like brother, sister, spouse, friend. I grew up, my parents did the best that they could with what they knew, um, but I grew up with a deeply profound sense of isolation. I mean, we all kind of had our own televisions, come downstairs, grab dinner, go back, watch the evening news, some Wheel of Fortune. I got pretty stinking good at Wheel of Fortune. Like, what's a Wordle? Wordle's easy. Try Wheel of Fortune. And um, when I was introduced to pornography in eighth grade, the chasm that the lack of intimacy, of being known, of being loved, of being seen, of feeling connection, suddenly I had something to fill that. At least I thought it was filling it, but actually... What pseudo-intimacy does like that is it expands your craving and leaves you hungrier than you were before. It can't satisfy. So I went for years with a crippling addiction to pornography, 
longing for intimacy, for connection, but actually was driven further into the dark because then I was ashamed of what I had seen. And maybe you can relate to that. But in desperation, I attended church with a friend on a whim, and I heard the gospel. I heard that Jesus desired me and wanted to lead me and loved me and laid his life down for me. I said, all right, I still remember the prayer. All right, Lord, I actually thought I was a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home, but I could see that I'm clearly not one. I don't care about you. Would you make me one? Jesus answered that prayer, and he did. And slowly but surely started to fill in that deep void in me as I walked out into the light with some brothers who could uh, point me to, to the goodness of God and actually started to feel the girding, the, the um, rebar, the iron that could be just pushed down into your soul and strengthen you with intimacy before the Lord that actually started to transform my longings. That's who Jesus is. That's what he saves us from. He saves us into intimacy with God, that that craving and need that we have, that we find all sorts of pseudo-alternatives to, and the marketplace will happily sell to you. He is the one who heals and makes whole because God is the one who is himself whole. This isn't just for later. It's not just for the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Maybe this very morning, you sense the longing and the desire for intimacy, for connection with people. This morning, see that the resurrected Jesus, who loved us to the point of pouring his blood out on Good Friday, is willing to pour out his spirit on Easter Sunday into your life. Lord Jesus, help our children's ministry. God is making all things new is making. That's active. It's here and now. The kingdom is going forward. Jesus is building his church. The Holy Spirit is drawing us into the reality of life with God. And so, as Jesus said in John 14, 23, that if anyone desires it, he and God the Father will come and make their home inside you and I and among us as his people. So, maybe that's for you this morning to step out in openness and risk to say, God, if that is what you offer me, Jesus, if that is who you are, prove it to me. Make it real to me. That's why Holy Spirit is here among us. Heaven's reunification to earth as it was in the beginning, will restore intimacy, but it also will chase away suffering in the presence of God. You need to know something. Um, death is not something that God created. Death itself is actually not even really a, a thing. It's, it's the absence of something greater than itself. Death is, is the absence of life. It's a void. Just like, think about darkness. Darkness isn't a thing. It's the lack of light. And when we turn away from God to choose isolation, autonomy, and self-sufficiency, death fills in that gap. And all that God created good starts to break down. That's where suffering comes in. 
That's where death and mourning and grief enter into our world and pain entered in. But in Revelation 21, verse 4, we see something awe-inspiring. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Sisters, brothers, the empty tomb means that suffering and sorrow, your suffering and your sorrow have an expiration date. We do not undergo difficulty in this life as though it is terminal. Though it seems that death and taxes, just did my taxes this week, are sure and inescapable realities. Both of them won't exist in the new heavens and the new earth. That better be about death. <laughs> if you are clinging to Jesus this morning, you need not fear even death itself because it is a defeated foe. The mortal wound has been dealt. God has been proclaiming the future death of death itself since the times even before Jesus. Listen to this after having read Revelation 21. Isaiah 25, 6-9. On this mountain, that is the mountain of God, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast of aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, He will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, Look, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Jesus didn't show up on the scene as a surprise. Well, in some ways he did. He wasn't quite what they expected. But the promises go all the way back to the beginning and are now fulfilled. And we live on this side of Jesus looking forward to what has always been promised. Our good God saying, I'm going to make it all right again. Trust me. Look to me. Walk with me. Participate with me. There's coming a day when everything broken and all pain will be ended. Hunger and lack, prideful arrogance and hatred, racism and bigotry, school shootings and abortion clinics, strip clubs and slums, political hero worship and extortion, depression and anxiety, the reign of Satan and demons to whisper lies and stir up hatred among human beings. And violence will all be vanquished forever because God will be in our midst. That's, that's where everything is going. No more suffering, no more mourning. If you are in the depths of sorrow or pain, know that this Resurrection Sunday, you are in the covering of the living one. I don't know how long he will allow you to go through in his infinite wisdom the season that you are in, but it has an end date. 
Not only will there be no more suffering in the new heavens and the new earth, every longing will find its fulfillment in the presence of God. In verse 6, we hear the glorious truth. Jesus says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give freely the th- I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Maybe you're suffering this morning. Isn't so much pain and something that you don't want in your life. It's longing, something that you wish were in your life. That too will be chased away by the one who can satisfy your every desire. Because desire was made by the God who knit you together. That ultimately you would be led into his very presence in this life where he is invisible, yet he is discoverable. He's findable. If we would listen and draw near to him. That's where all of this is headed. Here and now, may God's spirit rekindle among us the flame of longing that maybe has been quenched in your soul this morning. One day, I pray maybe it's even today, we could say with Julian of Norwich, because of the resurrection, because death has been defeated, because one day we will be with God face to face and all things will be made new, we could say all is well and all is well and all will be well. Nothing painful, broken, evil will last. And if we know that, that the promise of the empty tomb is before us this morning, God is here and present and the one who brings life back into our lostness and into our death and heaven back to earth, we have only one part to play. We only have one part to play this morning. It's right here. I was really tempted to leave it off. Guys, there's a, there's a large part of me that wanted to stop at verse 6. Just be like, it's Easter, it's happy, it's joyful. Read verses 7 and 8 with me. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God and he will be his son. All right? A little bit of challenge there. But it's not the only path. But the cowards faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I thought about texting Caleb saying, hey, we're scratching it, we're going to cut it short, maybe verse 4 or 5. But here's the thing. The promises of God go forth through the empty tomb, but they call everyone to respond. God does not force his will on anyone. Notice the word that John uses here in verse 7. The one who conquers will inherit these things. That sounds pretty brash. I don't know about you, but I don't feel very strong. Like certainly not strong enough to conquer death and longing and suffering and all of those things. But if we follow back through Revelation, what we see is that God has declared cosmic battle over Satan, sin, and death. And it's a victory that he's won. We follow in the wake of the conquering one, and we are empowered to actually be able to do some conquering as well. 
There's a conquering of ourselves, that part of us that wants to rebel and turn away from the one who calls us into life. The scriptures call that the flesh. There's the conquering of the world and its lies, all the marketers that would try and sell you things to just cope through life instead of hoping in Christ. There's even Satan and demons, these real spirits that are opposed to the work of God in the world that would whisper to you justification for your hatred of people who have hurt you. All of them have been defeated. But we must make the choice to say, I will walk in the victory that Jesus has given me. 1 John 4.4 puts it this way. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. That is the spirits of the Antichrist, those who are opposed to Jesus. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You need to know this morning that the one way to not take part in this, even if you think, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to heaven, is to passively assume that you're just going to slip right into the kingdom because you assented to the fact that the tomb was empty. Following Jesus is a life of resistance to so many things in this life and receiving the gifts that he wants to lavish on you and me. That's why we need the church. This is the place where we stir each other up to say, don't fall asleep on it. You have victory in Jesus, but you've got to walk in it. You have to assert yourself in it. You must be decisive about it. And so, you know, we show up on Sundays and we're kind of like, Praise God from whom all that. And our minds in thousands of other places. We feel all these burdens, even though we really do love Jesus deep down. And we want to get to the place by the end of the gathering where we're like, Praise God! It's true! It's real! He's alive! He met me in all of my need. Sees all of my brokenness. The tomb is empty so I could be filled. And so, when, when John says, the one who conquers will inherit these things, he's saying the one who follows in the wake of Jesus' great victory will assuredly receive his victory and all of its spoils, even though you might die in the process. But for anyone who clings to death and all of its corrupting ways, you will be allowed, apart from the presence of God, when heaven and earth come back together. And so the plea this morning is, rejoice in the resurrection, but be decisive about following Jesus. Don't just say, yay, Jesus is alive and I can go on my way. That's how evil spreads in the world. And we're in a moment where we're like sick of it, right? We see it all over the place. Woe to us lest we participate in it. And just call it like self-care. You just be consumed with my own life. There's a way that that's evil. It's not loving God and loving people. That's who Jesus is making us to be. Heaven and earth, they're, they're joined together. Participate. Join in. Assert yourself. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I believe. The victory is assured. And I want to read 
for us. Well, let me give you assurance. Some of you are wrestling and feel like you're failing. If you are wrestling, have assurance that all the things you are wrestling with, that you know are opposed to God and feel like death is just climbing all over you, they will be defeated once and for all one day. If you're wrestling, keep wrestling. The Spirit of God is in you and with you. We are with you. Be here. But it's a warning to those of us who refuse to wrestle. And not making a decision is refusing to wrestle. And so let this Resurrection Sunday be the moment of stepping into the new life of the resurrection to say, I will be decisive about this. I will follow Jesus. I will not assume faith. Yeah? The Spirit is willing. And we want to help. That's why we're here. And I want to read words from John Chrysostom, a church father celebrating Easter back in the 4th century. This was his declaration as our close. Enter, all of you, into the joy of our Lord. And whether you're the first or the last, receive your reward. Or rich and poor, one with another, dance for joy. Oh, you ascetics and you negligent, celebrate the day. You who have fasted and you who have disregarded the fast, rejoice today. The table is rich laden. Feast royally, all of you. The calf is fatted. Let no one go forth hungry. Let all partake of the feast of faith. Let all receive the riches of goodness. Let no one lament their poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one mourn their transgressions, for pardon is dawned from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free.